So a couple of folks have uh, remarked on my appearance this morning, and I have to confirm that yes, I did get a haircut. So, thanks for noticing. Um, so, so why am I dressed like this? Well, this, the shirt and this pink skirt, are the, are the traditional dress of the Karen people who live in Burma. And about a month ago, Megan and I went with a team of, of folks over to the Thai-Burma border, and we spent time with these people. And so when we left, I wanted to bring something with me that reminded me of, of some of the uh, experiences that we had there. And this pink skirt and the shirt were some of those things. But not just to remind me of the experiences, but to remind me of the people, particularly of one person in particular. His name was Samsak. Samsak was the pastor of the church where we held the training that we did. Um, that's Samsak right there in the pink skirt. And that church that we're standing in there is the church that he led. And while we were there, we were able to kind of connect with Samsuk in a, in a number of ways. Um, Samsuk is a, is a young pastor too. And when we were introducing ourselves to, to the whole um, group of pastors there, we mentioned, hey, we have a, a young boy back at home. And Samsuk mentioned, hey, look over there, there's my young boy. And so we were connecting in these different ways. You know, even though we were in very different cultures, we were able to find these similar things about ourselves. Young pastors with young children. So this morning, as I'm wearing this, I feel like I'm bringing a little bit of Burma and Thailand to you. That in some way, we are connecting the bridge between very different countries and very different parts of the world. So as you watch me preach and you look at my pink skirt, may it be a reminder to you that our world is big. Our world is big. And there are people dressed just like me who love Jesus, like some suck. And there are many more who do not know anything at all about Jesus, who need to know the name of Jesus. Well, we've been talking about praying, uh, about interceding for other people. And um, many of the things that we've talked about, children, marriage, government, city, these are things that intuitively make sense for us to pray for. Because there are things that we encounter every day. If you're married or if you have a child, you encounter that every day. And you're going to pray about it, presumably. And we're all affected by the city and the government. So it makes sense to pray about those things. And last week, Pastor Ellis preached about uh, praying for unbelievers. And that makes sense. I hope that makes sense to you. That we would pray for the people that we love and whom we know. But they don't know Jesus. We should pray for them. That makes complete sense. And Certainly, it's something that we encounter every day. But missionaries, praying for missionaries is something that I think kind of flies under the radar a lot of times. And it makes a lot of sense. Why? Because it's the, the things that missionaries encounter, missions as a whole, missionary work, for the most part, it's out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind, right? And I don't say that to guilt anybody. It's just the reality. The things that we see every day are the things that are going to get our attention, And so this morning, my hope is to put missionaries in front of you, to put missions in front of you so that it can be something that we can pray well for. And we're going to do that. We're going to put missionaries in front of us by going to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. In this part of Matthew, uh, Jesus is relatively early on in his ministry. 
And just two chapters before he'd finished his famous Sermon on the Mount, just finished it. And in the intervening chapters before chapter 9, we get stories about his encounters with people and miracles that happen. But he hasn't even, uh, we haven't even met his 12 disciples yet at this point in Matthew. So it's relatively early on in his ministry. And Matthew gives us this interlude, this kind of a summary of Jesus' ministry right here in chapter 9. It's sort of a 10,000 foot view of what's going on with Jesus' ministry. So let's peek in and hear what Matthew has to say. In verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we pray for this word to sink deep into our hearts, so that, Lord, we may have the perspective that your Son did and that you have on this world. Lord, this morning, change our hearts, we ask in your name. Amen. God is on a mission. God is on a mission. About a year ago, we went through the story, the story of Scripture. And if you were here, you know that God is on a mission. The mission of God is to reconcile the world to himself. Reconciling is like, it's, it's bringing into harmony what was in disharmony. It is, it is bridging relationship. And so the story of Scripture is God bringing back into harmony what was broken. We know that early on in the story, God made everything good. But our ancestors rejected God. And ever since then, the consequences have reverberated throughout history. And we are left with a broken world, broken relationships with one another, broken relationship with God, and broken relationship with our world. But God had a plan. God is on a mission. Early on in the story, in Genesis chapter 12, God takes the man, Abraham, and he makes a promise to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. And I will bless all the families in the world from your seed. Your seed, Jesus, as we come to find out. So that story is the story of the Old Testament. The nation of Israel comes from Abraham and and rises and falls And then from the nation of Israel comes Jesus. So when we get to this point in Matthew 9, we are witnessing Jesus at work at the mission of God. At work at reconciling the world to himself. And that's what it looks like here in Matthew 9. He is going around, he is teaching people who God is, who the Father is. He is proclaiming the good news that heaven is has come to earth, that heaven is drawn near to people. And he is healing every affliction and every disease. Take note of that, that Jesus doesn't simply tell people truth. He deals with the immediate needs of their bodies. And that is the gospel. That is the good news for people, that not only are we reconciled, are we made whole in our minds and our hearts, but even in our bodies. So when we talk about missions... This is what it is. 
we are simply following in the footsteps of what Jesus did here in Matthew 9. Missions, plural, missions, comes from the mission of God. It is people actively engaged in the work of reconciling the world to God in cultures other than their own. That's what a missionary is. So when we send missionaries out, that's why we send them as teachers, why we send them as pastors and evangelists, why we send them as doctors. Because all of that is about making our world whole, about reconciling people to God. All of us are called to the mission of God. No matter what, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to this mission to reconcile, to be a part of God's reconciliation with this world. But some of us are called to do that in other cultures, in other places than what we call home. That's about as, as simply as put as I can give you a definition of missions. And, and in Matthew 9, we, we, we see this. We see this is what Jesus said, is at work doing. But if you left only knowing a definition of missions, then it would be a failure. We would not have accomplished what we hope to do this morning. What we really need to do, I think, in order to pray for God's work, to be a part of what he's doing in this world, what we really need to do is see his heart for missions. The heart of the Father in missions, I think we see here in Matthew 9, is two things. It's a heart of compassion and a heart of urgency. And we see this in two pictures or metaphors. We see this in the picture of the lost sheep and in the picture of the harvest, plentiful harvest. The lost sheep. Jesus is recorded as uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On the surface of it, it seems simple enough. Sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd is, is a dead sheep. It is a sheep vulnerable to prey. A sheep that does not know where to get its food. It is helpless. It is alone. And certainly that is what, what Jesus is seeing here. But who is the good shepherd? Jesus. Yes! Good job. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is a good shepherd. And that's how he describes himself in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 14. This is what Jesus says about himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Do you hear that? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So what John is recording of the words of Jesus here helps us to flesh out what is going on in Matthew. Jesus is the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. He will lay down his life for the sheep. But as he looks over the crowds, the scope of what he is seeing is greater, perhaps, than we initially might think. Because as Jesus looks over the crowds, he sees the whole world. Who are the other sheep? Who are the sheep of another fold? It's the world, right? Abraham. Remember Abraham, the promise given to Abraham was that his seed would bless the entire world, bless all the families of the earth. 
So when Jesus in John 10 talks about his sheep, he is seeing a grand perspective of our whole world. And remember, he's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows their voices. He knows their needs. He knows their faces. And as he looks over the crowd, he sees faces. One by one. He sees faces that are young. He sees faces that are old. He sees faces that may be startling to us. Some perhaps that are more familiar. He sees faces that may frighten us. Faces that may comfort us. These are his sheep. The people of the world, the ones who are lost, who need the good shepherd. They do not tire him out. They do not wear him down. When he sees them, he feels love. He feels compassion. And so often when we look at faces like these, we do not feel compassion. We feel fear. Maybe we feel even disgust or the inability to relate. But I believe in order to really enter into God's mission, we have to have the same heart that he has for the people of this world. We have to have that same heart of compassion that Jesus had when he looked over the crowd, when he looks over our entire world and sees lost sheep. And maybe, maybe you don't have that heart I think the the place to begin is simply to pray that Jesus would give you that heart of compassion that he had. He will give you that heart of compassion. We need hearts of compassion when we pray for this world, when we pray for missionaries. We also need a heart of urgency. Matthew continues on in Matthew 9. He says that when Jesus saw this, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This metaphor, this picture would have resonated with Jesus' listeners. Most of them were farmers. Most of them got that harvest season was a short time, about a month or two at most. And this wasn't just simply Jesus saying, oh, Shucks, wouldn't it be awful? Wouldn't it be a waste? There is more at stake here for for Jesus' time. Because if you didn't get the harvest, you didn't get your food. If the harvest wasn't reaped, you would go hungry. Perhaps you would starve. So the harvest was a matter of life and death. And when, when Jesus talks about the harvest is plentiful and we need workers... His original hearers got the sense of urgency that is in these words. You know, recently, uh, this past week, Megan took a trip to celebrate uh, one of her good friend's 40th birthday. She went to a strange and distant land, Santa Barbara, California. (laughs) And she would call me every once in a while just to check in. And it was funny. She would call me and say, Larry, the people here in Santa Barbara want to talk about God. And over the course of four days, she recorded 29 different conversations, spiritual conversations with people, strangers, people she'd never met. She shared her testimony twice. 
He was just sharing the gospel left and right. One of the birthday parties she went to was at a restaurant, and the bartender there was like, hey, you guys have a good vibe. Where does this vibe come from? Where can I go to get this vibe? And Megan said, it's called church. And she pointed this guy to the church that, that her friend was a part of. When Megan and I lived in, in Massachusetts for our seminary work, we had to stop going to coffee shops where we would study because every time we broke open one of our books, people would see what was on the cover and they would come over to us and they would start talking to us about God. So we had to stop going to coffee shops because we wanted to finish our degree. The harvest is ripe. This team from Arizona that just came back from Arizona State University, they came back with reports of people who were hungry to talk about God, students who are ready to talk about God. The harvest is ripe here, even here in America. And so often we would look at our own country and around the world and we would see a desert. We would see hostility. We would imagine that these places don't want anything to do with God. And we would be missing out. Because the truth is, is that God is already at work in our world in America. He is already prompting and working in people's hearts because people really are hungry to know God. And Megan's story is being replicated all over the world. One of the most amazing movements of the kingdom of God that is happening is happening today in China. Maybe you've heard about this. China has been a place that for many, many years and still has been hostile to, to the word of God. And so churches have been shut down. Pastors have been jailed or worse. They've lost lives. And yet despite this, despite this, the kingdom is growing. It's exploding in China. The church is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And these Chinese people are so captured, these Christians are so captured by the vision of of fields of wheat ready to be harvested, that they are actually sending missionaries into the Middle East. And these Chinese Christians are able to get into country that we as Westerners would simply never be able to get into. And in the Middle East, God is preparing hearts there. We hear story after story after story of men and women who are having visions and dreams of Jesus. Where Jesus comes to them in their dreams and their visions. And they wake up from these dreams and the visions and they are hungry to know who is this Jesus and they are desperate to meet a follower of Jesus. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. And so Jesus tells his disciples, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. You know, it's ironic that he says that in in chapter 9. He says to his disciples to pray. In the very next passage in chapter 10, he commissions those same disciples to do that work. The very thing that they were praying for, they were the answer to. So do not be surprised as you pray this week to find that God may be calling you to go somewhere that is not home for you. You know, one of the interesting things that, that God is doing in America, one of the ways that God is sending Americans is that he is using 
the skills that we are privileged to learn as Americans in other places. He is calling doctors, engineers, teachers, pilots to use their skills in other places. Not simply as just a doctor, but as a doctor in the name of Jesus. As a doctor in the name of Jesus. As a doctor who is a follower of Jesus. And that is a need in our world to use our skills in other places and to be Jesus' hands and feet in other, other places. Something else that's remarkable about our world today is that the world is coming to us. Even here in the Seattle area, there are ethnic communities all over the place. Communities like the Somalis, Ethiopians, Venezuelans, Hondurans, Afghanis. Places that perhaps would not be as receptive to the gospel, maybe even places where the gospel can't reach. But they're here now. Communities are here within an hour's drive of Chapel Hill. And we have the opportunity as Christians to go to these people and to welcome them in the name of Jesus, to be hospitable to them in the name of Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a movement of God in Afghanistan because someone from Chapel Hill welcomed an Afghani family here in the Seattle area. And that Afghani family came to know Jesus and called home to an uncle, to an aunt, to a brother, to a sister, and said, hey, I've met someone. His name is Jesus. That's the kind of opportunity we have here in the Puget Sound. So do not be surprised if perhaps as you pray, God answers his prayer by calling you. That is our call this week, is to pray. You all have inserts in your bulletins. My encouragement to you is to take this insert and to put it in a mirror on your steering wheel or on your windshield, blocking your sight as you drive, to remind you that we should pray for our missionaries. That is, that is the call that, that Jesus has given to us. On this uh, insert, you'll see a number of the missionaries who we have sent out as a church. And we've asked them what their needs are. And every day, you can pick one of these missionaries and pray for them on that day. But I've also encouraged you to to pray for your hearts as we pray for our missionaries. And I want to do that this morning. To pray for our hearts to be changed. And as we pray this morning, I'm going to encourage you to put your hands over your heart. To pray that we have the same heart that Jesus had. I'm also going to pray something dangerous. There's a story in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah encounters this vision of the throne room. And as he's quaking in his sandals, he hears from the throne the voice of God saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me. Here I am. I'm going to pray that some of you have that throne room encounter That you hear the voice of God calling to you. That you would have the courage to say, here I am, send me. Let's pray this morning. Father God, indeed, I do ask, would you give us your heart? Would you give us your heart of compassion? Lord, as we look out on this world, may we have your vision. May we see a people lost vulnerable, who need the good shepherd. And so, Lord, if there be any fear in our hearts, if there be any anger, 
hate. Lord, I pray that you would replace that with compassion and with love. Change our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a heart of urgency. Help us to see that the harvest is plentiful, that people are just waiting to talk to a follower of Jesus. Lord, may you give us that sense of urgency that we would not waste time, that we would know and have a vision of fields full of wheat ready to be harvested. And Lord, I do pray even right now, Lord, that some in our midst would be having a throne room encounter, that they would be hearing your call on their lives to go to a place that they do not call home. Lord, give them the courage to say, here am I, send me. Equip them to do your work. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the joy of participating in your work, even through prayer. You are a good God. You are the good shepherd. So we follow you and we love you. We pray in your name. Amen.